God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. hope that you can sing that song and mean that from your heart. Of all the people in the world that should have joy, it is the people of God. Today, I want to welcome you here to East Taylorsville. If you're visiting with us today, please stop by our guest table as you leave. Or before you rush out, we would love to uh, 
love to meet you um, as staff and answer any questions that you may have concerning the ministries here. We would encourage you to fill out the care card in your bulletin, and you can drop that in the offering plate as you leave. We would love to have a record of your visit. But as we prepare for worship, I want to read from Psalm 40. And it says, But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my Savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. Whatever your need is today, let this be a reminder that our help is in the Lord. He is our help. He is our salvation. And let us call to him in prayer. Let us declare his greatness and his faithfulness through our song. And let us submit to the declaring of his word as it is preached later. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you for letting us be here in your presence. Thank you that we can shout out your praise. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet us where we're at and help us to understand that you meet our needs, no matter what that need is. So, Lord, we worship you and we declare your greatness now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.
Amen. I want to share something with you. I got an email last week from Samaritan's Purse. And the reason I'm holding this little bear up here, the email says this, Samaritan's Purse in Ukraine uh, has a strong network of churches, planners, and that we work with uh, distributing the Operation Christmas Child. They ship out uh, shoeboxes all over Ukraine. And they asked our churches to pray for the people of Ukraine. And we need to pray this morning. Uh, in the time of our prayer this morning, I'm gonna invite you down to invite you to come down to pray for a team that we're sending over to Romania. And they're gonna be going in, some of them, to, into Ukraine. And I want you to be praying for that. But I wanna share this with you this morning about this little bear. And on the screen, you can help us this morning to adopt a bear. Uh, our goal is to have, a, we, we have purchased a thousand bears because they're hard to get. But you can, you can adopt seven bears by, by, just by giving $10. Some of you can give 100 and have 70 bears. So I want to encourage you this morning to, to adopt a bear. And in your memo, you can put East Tellersville Baptist. And in the memo, you can put adopt a bear. Just write your check out to East Tellersville. But you could, and if you want to purchase one on your own, you can. But remember, just to get like a 10-inch bear, that's all you need. Why is that important? Because kids that receive a shoebox, a lot of them come to faith in Christ. Many of them come to know Jesus as their Savior. And we want to be a part of that. And we want to be helping those who are in need. Over a million people are refugees. They're coming across the borders. And Christmas is not going to be the same for them this year. They may even have a home to go to. They may not even have a country to go back to. But we want to be able to reach out to them and love them in Jesus' name. And you can be a part of that by adopting a bear. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to come. And I want you to pray for those that are going. Kevin Powell is going to be leaving, uh, leading a team. And Dr. Merrill and Tori Jolly is going to be going. Uh, one of our members and Isabel Hamby is going to be going. They're going to be going into Cebu. And some of them, are, like I said, are going over into Ukraine. They're taking supplies to help. And they're hopefully we're bringing out uh, refugees. I want to invite you to come this morning and be a part of this time of prayer for those that are going uh, to Romania and for the country of Ukraine. You come. in prayer Father we need more of you we're so privileged to be able to be here this morning Lord we're, we're honored to be able to be in your presence and to know you as Lord and Savior we pray for the millions of people who are displaced in Ukraine this morning Lord they're hurting, they're fleeing their homeland they're leaving their houses and their families and their husbands and grandfathers behind to fight a war and Lord, we, we take it for granted. We take our freedoms for granted. And Father, this morning, we want to pray for those that are there on the ground. We pray for divine intervention. Lord, we pray that you'd protect them. And Lord, you help us to be a part of that outreach. I pray for those that are going. 
Lord, I pray for the team that's going this week, Thursday. God, that you'd protect them as they go into Ukraine. And Lord, reach out and help them. And Lord, to take supplies and be able to pray for them and medical aid. And Father, we want to pray for the people. God, we pray for your divine intervention. Lord, you said you're always interceding on our behalf in Romans 8. And Father, we pray that you'd help us as a church, as your people, to intercede on the behalf of the Ukrainians. Lord, all the Christians and all the people have lost lives. And Lord, we pray that you'd take this little simple gift of a bear, put it in a shoebox, and that the gospel might be shared to children and to families this year. That they could come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Father, help us to be a part of that. And Father, this morning, we want to thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. But most of all, we want to thank you for being here. Thank you for living in our hearts. Thank you for giving us life that's eternal, a hope that's everlasting, and the gospel to share. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us this morning. Would you bless this hour of, of singing and preaching? Would you bless this time, and may you be honored, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Was that not a blessing? Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thank you so much. As the choir is going down, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Luke chapter 13. I'm going to start a new series on Sunday morning. It's called Questions and Answers. And what I'll be trying to do is answer some of the most asked questions about the Bible. If you have a question about the Bible or anything in the Bible and you'd like for me to answer it, uh, just please write it on your care card. Put it in the basket as you leave. And, and uh, if it comes up, we'll look at it. Um, we're going to be looking at a lot of different questions. The question this morning we're going to try to answer is this question. Now think about this. Uh, if someone dies during a natural disaster, which we have had a lot in my lifetime, uh, do those people go to heaven? What if somebody dies in a heroic action? Let's say they're fighting for the United States of America, and they're in the front line of the battle, uh, and they die. Do they go to heaven? What about, you remember the space shuttle that crashed? or blew up. I remember watching that live when it happened. And I remember the memorial services afterwards, and something caught, I was a young, young, younger Christian at the time, and one of the, the people speaking said, well, all these are in heaven. They died that day, and they all went to heaven. Well, do they? Do you go to heaven if you die in some tragic event? What if you rush into a home that's on fire, and you save people, you save children, but you die? Do you go to heaven because of that? Jesus answers that question in Luke chapter 13. If you will, stand with me, verses 1 through 5. We're going to see two events. One is kind of a natural event, and the other is a moral evil, which happens. Now notice what the Bible says in verse thir or chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at, the, at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So they're in church, in a sense, and then Pilate has them killed. The government kills them, okay? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed, do you think those were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus uses a moral evil and really a natural disaster to say, Now's not the time to worry about them. And, and the Jews were saying, well, they died because they were worse sinners. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They died because they died. Life happens. And he says, you don't worry about that. You worry about yourself. And he says, I tell you this, unless you repent, look at that word, unless you repent, you also will perish. Look at the word perish. That's talking about eternal damnation, unless you repent. So the question of today, Jesus leaves us with two options. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, is repent or perish. These are his words. These are the red letters. Okay? Now, the wonderful thing about being a Christian is God calls us to repent, not for salvation, but for our sanctification. So as a Christian, I'd be asking myself, do I need to repent today of some sin? Okay? And, and you should daily repent, probably, because we're all sinners. But primarily the message today is this. The question we're going to answer is this. Unless you repent, will I perish? You will. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Father, I'm reminded these are the red letters. These, these words come from your mouth. Luke is just writing down what you said. And Father, I, my prayer is if there's anyone here today, Lord, I'm not talking about being a member of a church. I'm talking about being a member of the kingdom. If there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day. Today's the day of salvation. Paul often persuaded his listeners, repent today, place your faith in Jesus today, follow Jesus today. 
today. Today's that day. And Father, as we give the invitation in just a little while, whether people come forward or not, that's not none of my concern, but I pray their hearts would be bent towards you and that today would be their day of salvation. And we'll thank you today, Father, for what you do. Only you can open blinded eyes and raise the spiritually dead. Lord, and I pray that you would draw people to yourself and grant repentance and faith for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The first thing I think we could notice, we can all agree with, when we think about this passage is this, that life is short, is it not? Is life not incredibly short? Think about it. I just turned 52. Some of y'all are laughing, going, oh, wait, you just wait. But it literally feels like I just got my license. I know I look like I did, but I literally feel that way. Like time has flown by so fast in my life that life really is so short. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Lord's brother says this, life, he says, what is your life? Now, Jesus' brother says this after Jesus rose from the dead, probably some 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, and he tells his listeners, he writes them a letter to the church and says, what is your life? He says, I'm going to tell you what your life is. It's a vapor. It's a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. It's just like when you spray, spray something, body spray. Well, I hope you all use it. You just spray it and it's gone, right? It's here and then it's gone. That's your life. It's here and it's gone. Moses said this. He said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. He said, one of the wisest things you can do is mark your days. Because one day your days are going to come to an end. James says, what is your life? Job, it mentions this over and over in Job 8 9. He says, for we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. Then Job says in Job 9, 26 and 25, now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass like a swift, like swift ships, ships and like an eagle swooping on its prey. That quick. That's how fast an eagle can get its prey. Before you even know it. And he says, my life is like that. That fast. And then in Job 14, he says, man, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. The psalmist in Psalm 39 says this, Lord, make me to know my end. What he's saying is this, Lord, help me to remember that one day this is going to end. And my, all, all that's going to matter is what I do for you. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Selah, which means think about that. So when James writes James, uh, the letter in James, he's, he's basically quoting the psalmist here. See, these people who went to church that day thought they was going to live a little bit longer. The people at the tower, think about that, the tower just fell. Pilate was a water guy, and he probably built the tower. Probably embarrassing to him. Tower fell, killed 18 people. They're probably just living life like we are today. you got plans this evening. you got plans when you leave church. You're going to eat somewhere, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But will we see those plans? Life is very short. Life is very, very short. The writer of Hebrews says this. It is appointed for men to die, and after this comes the judgment. It is appointed. It was appointed for the Galileans to die. Now, God worked through this person, worked through evil means, but it was their appointment. At the Tower of Siloam, that was their appointment. You have an appointment that you will keep. Regardless of your health situation, regardless of whether you're flying in a boat or riding in a car or sitting in your recliner at home, 
you have an appointment that you will keep. But the writer of Hebrews says this, It is appointed for men to die, us, we're going to die, it's appointed. That word appointed means it's set aside. It's set aside, it's reserved there. Jamie still has a date. All right, I have a date, and it's coming. I'm closer to it now than I ever have been, and so are you. It is appointed for men to die, comma, and after this comes the judgment. Repent or perish. Perish is a judgment word. It's a legal term. It is a judgment word. One person said this. I like what one pastor said, and I want you to indulge me here, if you will. Take your right hand, okay? Place it on your heart. You feel your heart beating? Now take your left hand and feel your pulse. Look, one of these days they're both going to quit. They are. You're going to be laid out and somebody's going to come up to you. You ever see that on the movies? This, look. Nah. Nope. He's not here with us anymore. <laughs> Brother Jamie's dead. All right. Look, life is short, is it not? And, and for the, Cal- the, the Galileans, look, notice the first calamity in verse 1. Jesus said this. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Is that not an evil man? Those were evil days back when Jesus was living. Like in some places in America today, the government killed the people in the church. Isn't that bad? It was a government-sanctioned action. Do you realize one person said there's something called democide? It's the intentional killing of an unarmed or disarmed person by the government agents acting in their authoritative capacity and pursuant to government policy or high commands. Governments throughout history have killed over 100 million people. Isn't that amazing? One, one professor said 262 million that we know of, he said during the 20th century, I don't know how true that is, but he says it's estimated that the governments of the world in mass killings have killed that many people. See, the Galileans sought to do good and Pilate brought evil upon them. Think about that for a moment. How things can happen so quickly, even in church. Just a couple weeks ago, a dad goes into a church, kills his three daughters and somebody else, then himself. Isn't that sad? The question I have, if they were of age, did the girls go to heaven? Did they go to heaven? Something to ask, isn't it? The people who were present with Jesus told him about this murder, and Jesus said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? That's how we think sometimes, isn't it? Well, what did you do to, to bring this upon you? And Jesus said, no, what I want you to do is not think about them, but think about yourself. Think about the second calamity here, this natural disaster, if you will, in verse 4. Jesus said this, or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed. He said, think about that. In just one day, some, some natural disaster or or as insurance people would say, an act of God. Think about the tornado in Kentucky. From what I understand, it crossed 11 counties, traveled over 200 miles, and was a mile wide. That's from here to the high school. Think about how wide that is. And killed over 70 people and ruined everything else. An act of God. The tsunami of 2004, the day after Christmas, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake. The day after Christmas. One of the largest ever recorded ripped through an undersea fault in the Indian Ocean, propelling a massive column of water toward unsuspecting shores. The Boxing Day tsunami would be the deadliest in recorded history, taking a staggering 230,000 lives in a matter of hours. You ever seen those videos? Whole families on the beach, and they say, look at that wave out there. And within minutes, within minutes, a wall of water comes and it's over. Think about that. It's amazing, isn't it? Natural disaster. The Tower of Siloam. Jesus asked, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? 
And he answers with a no. See, what, what, I like what John, John Piper said. He said, and we need these pictures because our sin blinds us to the dreadfulness and the ugliness of our sin. We look at other people. John Piper said this, Hardly anyone in the world feels the horror of preferring other things over God. Who loses any sleep over our daily belittling of God by neglect and defiance? But oh, how we feel our physical pain. How indignant we can become if God touches our bodies. We may not grieve over the way we demean God every day in our hearts. But let the coronavirus come and threaten our bodies and he has our attention. Or does he? Physical pain is God's trumpet blast to tell us that something is dreadfully wrong in the world. Disease and deformity are God's pictures in the physical realm of what sin is like in the spiritual realm. Calamities are God's previews of what sin deserves and will one day receive in judgment a thousand times worse. There are warnings, there are wake-up calls to see the moral horror and spiritual ugliness of sin against God. Would that He come... Would that we could all see and feel how repugnant, how offensive, how abominable, how abominable it is to treat our Maker with contempt, to ignore Him and to trust Him and demean Him and give Him less attention in our hearts than we give the style of our hair. God, what God is saying through all these events that we've seen throughout history and may come this year is this, that this earth is sin-cursed and it's not our home and we need to be ready. Jesus turns the minds of his audience away from those who have died back to themselves and their condition. And he says this, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Two options. So the second point is this. The first point is life is short. The second point is this. We must repent or perish. Notice verse 5. Jesus repeats it twice. I tell you no, but unless you repent, he makes it personal. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you repent. The word repentance the only way we can escape from perishing under God's just judgment of our sins is to repent. We need to ask, what is repentance exactly? One, one scholar put it this way, repentance means a turning, and it involves both turning from something as well as turning to something. Simply put, to repent means to turn from our sin and trusting in ourselves and turn to Jesus. To trust Him for rescue from divine judgment. John challenged the people before he baptized them. He said this, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John says, if you don't repent, I'm not baptizing you. Show me fruits of repentance. Paul, understanding this version of repentance, said this when he was talking about his conversion before King Agrippa. Paul told of how, he says this, he said he declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. This was the heart of of the kingdom message. John said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said this too. He says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the apostle Paul went to Jews and Greeks alike, he said this. The Bible says that he was preaching the kingdom of God, a message of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul went to Mars Hill with the intellectually elite of his day, this is what he said. These past times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, through the preaching of the gospel, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Peter makes this plea as he writes 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. As some understand slowness, He is patient with you. Why? Not willing that anyone perish, look at the word on the screen, but everyone come to repentance. Two options, repent or perish. When Peter preached on Pentecost, 
he preached a gospel message and he told the Jewish people, he said this, David's tomb is here, right there. Jesus' tomb is right there, and he's not there. He's not there. He said the, tomb, the, the, the gravestone, if you'll read Mark's gospel, has been picked up, not rolled away. It says rolled, but it was picked up and moved over there. Supernatural. Just the tombstone being moved was supernatural. Nobody could move it like that. And he says, go look. You see his grave clothes in the shape of a body, and it's kind of concave this way, and Jesus is not there. You had the head wrappings here, his body here. Where, how do you go through that? Jesus isn't here. And they said, what must we do? And this is what Peter said. What, what, what should you do? Peter said this, repent, see the word, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I was 20 years old when I repented. I'd been in church a lot up until then, off and on. Never repented a day in my life. I've met people that go to church and join churches that never repent. They get baptized, but they've never repented. They've never repented. They've never turned from their sin to Jesus. They've turned from their sin to church membership. There's not enough water in the world to wash your sins away. Only Jesus can do that. When you repent, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says, I pray God because you turned from idols to God. Talking about conversion. You repented. God has changed your life. And if you're born again today, listen, you should repent. That's where when you sin, you tell God, I'm sorry for the way, what I'm doing. I'm guilty of this and I ask you to forgive me. Just like David did in Psalm, one, or Psalm 51. One scholar said this about David. When David finally come after about a year of living in his sin, he understands his sin, what it costs uh, his relationship to God. And one, one scholar says he understands that sin is like a crime. If a criminal is going to be delivered from the effects of his crime, he needs not justice but mercy. Sin is an illegal act, a violation of justice, an act of lawlessness, of rebellion. Therefore, it requires mercy, which is a legal term. David says, God, I ask for mercy. As a born-again Christian, when you repent, what all you're doing is saying this, I broke your law, I'm guilty of it, I'm not blaming anybody else, and I need your mercy and your forgiveness. And I beg you for it today. That was David. David said, return to me the joy of my salvation. The reason you can come to church and it be so dead and dry and dreary oftentimes is the person in the mirror is at fault. The per See, wasn't the music good this morning? It's always good. It blessed my heart. If it didn't bless yours, what's your problem? What is your problem? Maybe you've got sin in your life that you've not confessed. You think David was singing praises to God when he, when he, when he lived in unconfessed sin over killing a man and taking a man's wife? I don't think so. I'm sure he blamed the preacher or the choir leader. We get to blame for everything, don't we? When the problem was David, he said, Return to me the joy of my salvation. See, the reason the Bible is so dry and dreary to you sometimes and it's so hard to read is because you're living in sin. And I would encourage you to repent. See your sin as God sees it. I like what one scholar said. He said, It's a lot easier to look at the sin in another than it is to look at your own sin. It's true, isn't it? Christians, you should repent at the invitation today. You don't got to come forward, but you better be repenting. Because the Holy Spirit will show you what you need to permit, uh, repent of. If you don't admit this, if, if you don't admit that you're guilty, don't pray to an all-knowing God. See, you can lie to your spouse, you can lie to your kids, you can lie to your church, you can lie to your friends, you can lie to your co-workers and yourself, but God knows it all, does He not? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. See, sometimes we just need a good cleansing from the Lord. Reason is, is that God is holy, and there's two aspects of His holiness. He has moral holiness. That's why when we break the moral law, it offends God. 
A.W. Tozer said, He is pure, sinless, thoughtless, no hint of moral imperfection. He is perfect, and all of his ways are perfect. His will is perfect. All he can do is morally holy and perfect. He has never erred in the slightest. He has never miscalculated. He has never misjudged or made a mistake. He has never done you wrong ever because he is perfect, because he is morally holy. He absolutely hates sin but loves righteousness. He is perfect in his words, his will, and his way. And listen to me, sinner and saved alike. Not only does he have moral holiness, which means when you sin, it's an offense to God and you must pay for it, but he also has legal, judicial holiness. Legal, judicial holiness. Because God is holy, he must judge all sin. He has to because he has judicial holiness. He cannot be indifferent to any sin. I can, he can't. All are guilty before him because he's morally holy and he also has judicial holiness. God is not lukewarm or passive about sin. No one is okay or good enough. Not me, not you, not your grandmother, not Gandhi, of course. All sinners, all who do not trust in Christ will be judged with judicial holiness. Listen to me. Look at the word perish. All sinners who do not repent will be judged with judicial holiness. God is long-suffering but has a violent reaction against all that is unholy. He flooded the world because of unholiness and sin. He will burn it up the next time. Look at the Old Testament and God's judgment of his own people, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Jews. To see how God feels about sin, look at the cross. A price has to be paid. Every sin that has ever been committed is going to be punished legally, either at the judgment or on the cross. Christ will be your Savior or your judge. He has judicial and moral holiness, and you do not want to stand before him. You don't. The great white throne judgment says books were opened, a book of your life, and you will give an account of every sin you ever committed and be judged based on your life and be cast into the lake of fire, the Bible says. Because God has judicial holiness. No sin is ever swept under the carpet, nor does God turn a blind eye to sin. There are no people good. All have sinned. Every sin will be punished in hell or pardoned in Christ. Look at the word perish. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That is a legal term. You know what Jesus says? Look at this verse. I love this verse. Luke, in Luke 12, Jesus tells the Jews, the same crowd, he says, you can look at the sky and tell if it's going to rain. You can look at the sun and say it's going to be hot or cold. And then he says, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? He says, you're a bunch of weathermen, but you don't understand judgment's coming. You ever met those people? I, met, I meet weathermen all the time. I say, hey, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ? Oh, I'm an elder at the church. I, I didn't ask you that. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Well, I grew up here. My parents are Christians. No, I didn't, I didn't ask you that, weatherman. Can you discern the times? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? You get it all the time. I'm a good person. Are you? I didn't ask you that. I'm a member here. I was baptized as a baby. Well, good, good. Got pictures. Got a certificate. Guy in a robe did it. I didn't ask you that, weatherman. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Because you'll stand before a morally holy God who has judicial holiness, and you'll be judged based on that. And he's going to say, hypocrites, weatherman, you can discern the sky if it's going to rain or not, but you cannot discern whether you're going to heaven or not. I knew I was lost when I was lost. No questions about it. And then on October 30th, 1990, at about 7.25 p.m., almost a mile from here, right across from Eddie Elliott's house, a man from this church led me to Jesus. 
and I repented of my sin and placed my faith and trust in him. Up until then, I was a weatherman. I'm a good dude. I'm not, I'm not as bad as Joe over there. I'm not as bad as Bobby. Nobody's bad as Bobby, right? Nobody's as rich as Bobby either. Listen, weatherman, listen to me, weathermen. All you weathermen, you can discern the times, the, the, the skies, but you cannot discern the times. You better discern the times this morning. Because Jesus says, repent or perish. Life is short. God's Spirit will not always strive with people. And He has a deadline. One scholar put it this way. Our court date is coming. Listen up, weathermen. Jesus is telling us that our court date is coming. In fact, our entire life is lived on the way to our appointment at the judgment seat of God. Do you realize that you're just one day closer to standing before the King? And each and every one of us is guilty. We all are. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all blasphemed God's name. We've all looked with lust. We've all been unjustly angry and committed what Jesus says is murder in our hearts. Here you are on the way to judgment day, and you know that you're guilty. Listen, Jesus is telling you, settle out of court. Settle your case with God before you ever get to the judgment. Because when you stand before Him as your judge, clothed in the filthy rags of your own sins, devoid of the pure robe of righteousness that God requires of all those who would stand in His presence, He is going to cast you into the prison of hell until you've paid what you owed. And you'll never pay it for it. The reality is, friend, that you'll never be able to pay what you owe because every sin you and I commit is perpetrated against an infinitely holy God, and so every sin is an intimate crime. It makes you infinitely guilty, therefore it merits an infinite eternity in a place which Jesus himself describes as a furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That horrible place is a just punishment that your sins deserve, that my sins deserve, and it would be right for us to go there now. It is a fate worse than death. Death is not the cessation of existence. It is not the peaceful escape to tranquility and rest that so many suppose. Death is not an escape from the suffering of this life. For those who stand before God without Jesus, for those whose sins have not been forgiven through the atoning work of Christ, death is the beginning of a kind of suffering that you cannot begin to fathom an intensity of torment that dwarfs all the pains of this life. If you're outside Christ, death will not bring rest. Death will bring the beginning of torment, a judgment ten million times worse than mandatory quarantine and a collapsing of the economy. And even dying alone in a hospital bed, gasping for breath, God is saying, in fact, He might as well be screaming at us, look at the signs, discern the signs of the times, repent or perish. I'm looking at two groups of people today, those who have repented, and those who have not. And if you have not, I would encourage you to discern the times right now and repent. You can't do that for your children. You can't do that for your spouse. You can only do that for yourself. Repent or perish. The final thing is this. God is willing to forgive. God will forgive. Notice what the psalmist says. I love what he says. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from... Look at the word transgressions. That means God has a law and I broke it <laughs> on purpose. There's no question about it. I did it. But when I ask God to forgive me and I repent, then God forgives. Listen, God forgives all sin that we commit. Some of the characteristics of God's forgiveness. God forgives your sins now. Isn't that amazing? When I was 20, I remember the person that led me to the Lord says, God will forgive all your sins. And I went, really? Yeah, it's a legal term. He will do it. 
He will. He forgives your sins now. He forgives those who want it. He's not going to force himself on you to forgive your sins. And God never brings those sins back up, aren't you thankful? He's the only being that's ever existed that will not bring your sins back up to you. Love keeps no record of wrong. And God will never, ever bring those back up. So my question to you today is this. Have you repented? If not, I would encourage you to repent today. I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. And I want you to think about your life. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you? Have you, have you, have you prayed to receive Christ? Have you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Jesus says this, repent or perish. Repent or perish. Repent or perish. Are you willing to stand before the judge who is morally holy, who has judicial holiness in the highest court of the land and state your case? The only case I have is Jesus. That's it. It's not being a preacher. It's not being a Southern Baptist. I was baptized on November 18th, 1990, saved on October 30th, 1990. What matters is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Can you discern the times? Can you discern the times today? I would encourage you to repent or perish. After I pray, Sharon's going to lead us in a song, and this altar's open. You can pray where you are. You don't got to come up here. You can talk to me later. But make your life right with Jesus today. Fathers, we come to you in prayer, Lord. I pray that we would have people in this church who would discern the times. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for forgiveness. Today is the day to repent. Father, as Christians, Lord, as Christians, we should be repenting people. Every funnel of blessing comes through the funnel of repentance in my life. Lord, help us to be men and women who will repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm guilty. Help me to overcome this in my life. Help us to be forgiving people. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Father, cleanse us today of sin and unrighteousness. And Father, save for your honor and your glory. Lord, I can't save anybody. Holy Spirit, do a work. Grant repentance and faith for, your, for the honor of your name today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you. We have staff down here. If you want to talk to staff, you can talk to us after the service is over. Come just as you mention this um, on the, the last Sunday in March I think it's the 27th but I could be wrong we're going to have a baptismal service that's going to be in the sanctuary if you're interested in church membership one of the requirements for church membership is to go through the new members class and baptism by immersion if you've never been baptized by immersion you need to talk to us if you need to be baptized if your child needs to be baptized please contact the church office because uh, we will not have another baptismal service for a while but I know we have four or five people to baptize so please contact us okay and listen, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you'd like to talk to us, please contact us, okay?
Please, everything's confidential. I'd rather talk to you about Jesus than anything else. I'd rather talk to you about Jesus than Carolina beating Duke last night. Amen? Amen? I mean, that unranked team that beat Coach K and his... Never mind, I'm not, I'm not going to say that anymore. Listen, hug a Duke fan by the lunch this week. God bless you. Hope to see you back here tonight, and you're dismissed. Thank you very much. Sharon, music was great. Very good. That first song was... Up.